You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Please open your Bibles this morning, not to 1 Samuel, but to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Those of you that are part of our church, you know this is a deviation. We've been in the book of 1 Samuel, studying it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This morning, the Lord has put something on my heart to share with you guys. We are going to be looking at some of the vision that the Lord has given to me as your senior pastor and direction that I feel that he's leading this church in. For those of you that are members here and call this church home, this is how I feel God is leading me. And as we start out the year 2019, I thought, hey, it's a great time to be able to share this with you. So this week and next week, I'm going to take some time just to share with you vision and some of our core values here at Calvary Chapel so that we can all be on the same page and do this together the way that we need to. We all need each other. Um, also, um, we, as I said before, we're also going to be hearing from Pastor Drew on the 20th of January. And that's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. But then we're also the 25th. We have another guest speaker coming in is Aaron Salvato, who um, is uh, Rob Salvato's son from Calvary Chapel of Vista, which is the church that I was on staff at for a number of years. He's going to be teaching at our winter camp for the youth group. And so I asked him if he would go ahead and share with us on Sunday morning, that last Sunday of January as well. So we've got some guest speakers, and it's a good time for me to take a break from the book of 1 Samuel, I felt like, and go ahead and share vision with you guys, which is my responsibility as one of the leaders at this church. So um, let's start off with that. Uh, In Acts chapter 2, there in verse 42 through 47, I'm going to read this in a minute. Um, But first, I just want to share a couple of things. Back in 2015, when I first realized the Lord was calling my wife and my family and I to come and to take this position at this church as the Lord had opened the door for us, I began to pray and ask the Lord, God, how do you, what, what do you want me to do? What do you, what's the vision for this church as, as I step in and transition from Pastor Damien's leadership to my leadership? Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your vision for these precious people in Paris, Texas? And as I was praying, the Lord really impressed three things on my heart that he gave me as his vision as I transitioned into this role. The first one was, love the people. And I love that. God has a heart of love. And that's what he called me to do, is just to love on the people. Secondly, learn the culture. And guess what? There's a whole different culture here in Paris, Texas, that I'm still learning, okay? For example, the first time I ever had somebody over for barbecue and served them hot dogs, I learned you don't call hot dogs and, you know, hamburgers, barbecue. That's not, you know, there's grilling and there's barbecue, okay? Two totally different things. I had to learn about that, okay? In California, it was like, hey, I'm going to throw something on the barbecue. You want a barbecue? You know, and we, you know, we would do that. Don't do that here, though, okay? The other thing, I, I finally sometimes have stopped calling 82 the 82, okay? See, in Southern California, it was always the 5, the 205, you know, the 405. Here, it's just 82, okay? I've, I'm starting to learn that. I'm starting to get that. Lots of other little things. Learning the culture, that was something God put on my heart. Love the people, learn the culture. The third one was lead the church. Just step in and, and with the elders that God has brought to this church, blessed men, just seek to lead this church. And so that's what God showed me to do. Threw myself into that. Of course, as we have gone on over time, the Lord is now speaking to me. I've been here almost four years um, 
In February of next year, it will be four years completely. And, and, and I feel like I'm just getting started, by the way. I don't have any desire to go anywhere else except for what God is showing me to do right now. But as I've been here, the Lord is now laying out some new things. Some direction, I think, that is for our church to be taking in. And it's kind of a trajectory, a long-term trajectory. And so I want to be sharing some of these things with you this morning as we go through um, this passage. But um, let me start out by just sharing. We have a mission statement as a church. Calvary Chapel Paris has a mission statement. Believe it or not, most churches have them. And believe it or not, most of churches are going to have the same kind of a mission statement. If we're, go, if we're taking it out of the Bible, it's going to have three main elements. Um, something about exalting God, something about making disciples, and something about sending people out to, get, to spread the gospel. That's what our mission statement is. Our mission statement says, Calvary Chapel Paris is a family of believers in Christ who exist to worship God, to train and equip followers of Jesus, and to share the good news of salvation in our local community, country, and world, okay? We always want to start here in our local community. This is where we make an impact first, but then going out from there. Our vision statement is also very simple. Um, It's just a simple phrase that is hopefully catchy, that will remain in your mind, and you will know that this is what we're all about. It's just to know Christ and to make Him known. It sums up in a nutshell what we're all about at Calvary Chapel of, of, of Paris, We want to know Jesus Christ, and we want to make him known. It is that simple. You can narrow it down to that sentence. Of course, we're going to be talking today about four elements of a living church. Four elements of a living church. You see, God has laid out a model for the church in the New Testament, and I want to look at that model today and share those elements with you because I believe this is what God wants us as a church to be working and striving for together, okay? And I stress together because I need every single one of you, just as you hopefully need us, your leaders, to be seeking the Lord and and, and asking God to direct us, to fill us with His Spirit, and to impart to us the gifts that are necessary so that we can make this happen and that we would all serve in, in, in doing this together. So if you look at Acts chapter 2, let's read together verses 42 through 47. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them all, among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I love that phrase, simplicity of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, before we advance this morning, I want to read this passage one more time in the New Living Translation of the Bible. And it'll appear on the screen for you to follow along in. I just want us to get this in. I want to soak this in this morning. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, And shared everything they had. Verse 45. 
They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now there are four things from this passage of Scripture, as I said, that I want to bring out that serve us as a model or a pattern for us to implement here in Calvary Chapel, Paris. And, and just so you know, this is the vision that I have been working off of as well for about three years now that the Lord has really communicated to me that we would implement these four things in our church. So first of all, we see that a living church is a learning church. A living church is a learning church. Look at verse 42 with me. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want to stop there. The first church was devoted to learning from the apostles. Now, the apostles' teaching has come down to us today in the form of the New Testament. And all of the New Testament doctrine is based upon principles from the Old Testament. So the New Testament apostles were simply teaching Old Testament principles in their teaching. They were expounding on the Old Testament. Now, you cannot separate knowledge and learning from spirit-filled Christianity. Knowledge and learning and a desire for truth is always going to be the mark of a living church. The Holy Spirit, you see, is the spirit of truth. And a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit is going to be a church that loves to learn from God's Word. This is why it concerns me when I see believers who forsake fellowship. They forsake the coming together in that formal gathering, such as a Sunday morning or a Wednesday or a Tuesday or a life group setting, and and they're, they're failing to feed their souls. That's always a sign that something's not right. Something else is taking the place of that desire to be fed from God's Word, to be submitted to the Lord's Word. This is a mark of a living church. In fact, John Stott the beloved pastor from England who's now with the Lord, he says it this way. He says, The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. And that's a great phrase that links those three elements together. The Spirit of God leading the people of God to submit to the Word of God. I recently read about a pastor who encouraged his people to put their Bibles away And to enter into all that God was doing in their fellowship. That to me is a dangerous thing to do. You know why? Because we live in a day and an age when false doctrine is prevalent. It is swirling through the church like never before. And there are false teachers abounding. We are under attack. And we need this this, spirit of truth to lead us to the knowledge of truth. And that is going to be found always and based in the word of God. Even the vision that I'm going to share with you today should be held up and measured in the balance and compared to the Word of God. Because if it doesn't line up, then it's not a godly vision, and it shouldn't be. Now, how are we at Calvary Chapel attempting to follow this model? That's a great question. How are we attempting to put into practice the things that we see in this model 
Well, first of all, this is why biblical literacy is going to be the focus of all of our formal and informal gatherings at Calvary Chapel. Okay, the Bible serves us as our instruction manual for life. It is the ultimate authority. There's no pastor or elder or leader at Calvary Chapel Vista that is above the Word of God. We are not the judge of this book. Rather, this book judges us. It judges our lives. So the Bible then needs to be the central focus when we gather. At the School of Discipleship and Ministry, at life groups, at men's or women's ministry, in the youth ministry with Pastor Micah, in the children's ministry, even from the, yes, the young children, they are going to focus on the Bible, the Word of God. We want biblical literacy and learning to thrive in Calvary Chapel. It's my sincere hope and prayer as the senior pastor for those of you that are members of this church to actively participate in these opportunities that we present to you for discipleship and growth. You see, from my vantage point up here, I see things that some of you never see. I see how people come to church. Some come with a heart to learn. Some come with a heart to, man, I'm into this. I want to see, I want to take from this all that God has. Even if I'm not covering new things, there's still this idea that you can come and receive from the living God a word for your life for that day, for that week, for what you're going through. Others come and, man, they miss it. They, 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 they spend this uh, 40 minutes on their phone, you know, doing other things besides taking notes and, or reading along, following along in the Bible. They spend that time, you know, nodding off because they had a really late night the night before, whatever it might be. But I see the differences in attitudes from this vantage point. I want to encourage all of you to see this time as a time of discipleship. It's a time for you to come hungering and thirsting for righteousness and to put yourself before the Lord in submission to the apostles' doctrine and teaching just as the first church did. Because a healthy church is a church that is feeding regularly from the richness of God's word and then going out and living out what we're learning. Remember I've talked about this before? This is halftime. This is the locker room. This is huddle. But we break, and we go out, and we live out, and we put into practice. We, we do the plays out there. Secondly, a living church is a loving church. Okay, A living church is a loving church. Look at verse 42 with me. Continuing on, it says, And to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, many miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 44, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That word fellowship in verse 42 is the Greek word koinonia. You've heard it before, I'm sure. Koinonia. And koinonia simply means common sharing. A living church is a church that shares in common. What is it that we share in common? Well, there are many things that we share in common as a church. First of all, one of the things that we share is a relationship with our Father. All of us have this amazing relationship, a common bond of fellowship with our Heavenly Father. That's one of the things that I love about being a Christian. 
is I can go through a period of time where I don't see somebody, maybe one of you guys for a while, or I haven't seen you for a bit, and then I get a chance to catch up with you. Say I bump into at Walmart or something like that, or you know somewhere out in the town, and I see you. I have a chance to catch up with you. But I, I, I do so from this common bond of fellowship. I already know that we're on the same page, that you love God, I love God. We're in fellowship with this common bond, you see. That's what we share in Christ. Not only that, we share a common bond of love between us. And this bond of love between us is celebrated and manifested when we take the Lord's Supper together. That's why it's so concerning when a Christian feels like, I, I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper I think that's such a travesty. I think that the church has done such a terrible job of causing Christians to understand what the Lord's Supper is all about. And instead of it being this joyous occasion to be united with Christ and to share the bond of love with the body of Christ, it becomes this thing where pastors use it to kind of beat people up in condemnation over their sin, you know. And if you're in sin, you shouldn't take it and this and that. Hey, the way I see it, every sinner needs to be partaking of the bread and the cup because of what they symbolize They symbolize what Jesus Christ did for the sinner, which was to pay for our sins and to make us one in Christ. And so we should all be coming to this table. We should be running to it and and sharing it together. But we share that common bond of love expressed by the Lord's Supper and also through prayer, through praying for one another. But there's also a common sharing here in these verses, a practical sharing of material wealth. Notice that according to the needs of the body. Now, there are some, I want to explain this very quickly, there are some who have thought that this must mean that if we're going to return to the early church model, we have to embrace socialism or some sort of thing, and we would all have to go live in a commune, sell our homes and possessions, and become a big sort of collective. But notice closely, if you look closely at these verses, not all sold their homes, did they? In fact, it says they were still meeting from house to house throughout Jerusalem, So a whole bunch of them must have kept their homes, and thank goodness that they did, otherwise no one would have had a place to meet. Nor does it say that they gave up all their money and possessions, or that all of them did that. This is a voluntary act done out of love, and notice that it says, as anyone had need. In other words, they were doing this to meet the physical needs, the material needs of those that were a part of that body of believers. What this tells us is that the early church is marked by love. First, a love for the Lord, but then also a love for each other. It was seen practically by how they met each other's needs through voluntary acts of kindness. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, the verses will appear on your screen, or you can look it up in your Bible. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. There's no more practical action than that right there. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 17, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So how are we attempting to follow this model in our church at Calvary Chapel of Paris? Well, one of the ways is very practical by sharing the Lord's Supper together, such as we're doing today on the first Sunday of the year. This is an opportunity for us to be united together in Christ and and to share this common bond of love between us. 
The love of Jesus Christ flows to the believer through the cup and through the bread and what they represent. And as we embrace them and take them into ourselves and assimilate them into our own bodies, we are assimilating, we're we're all partaking together spiritually in Christ as one family, becoming one in Christ. But not only that, we also do this through prayer. We have prayer teams at our church service. We have a prayer chapel next to the sanctuary, which is open during the week, by the way, during office hours. Any of you are welcome to come in and spend some time praying, pouring out your hearts to the Lord there. We also have a prayer chain, um, which we pray for people that contact us or fill out prayer cards and let us know that they would like to be added to that. You can call our church office. And if no one picks up the phone, please leave a message. We check our messages. And if you have a prayer request, we will make sure that that gets added to our prayer chain. And that gets emailed out to the prayer warriors within our church. And they're devoted men and women that are praying for your needs as you submit them to us. I want to make you aware of that. One, because maybe you have a prayer need this morning. But two, maybe you're a person that is a prayer warrior. And you would like to be a prayer warrior that prays for others in this church. Please let us know. We would love to get you on that list. But we also have um, a prayer request form online at our website, which is calvaryparis.com. You can click on that for need prayer. It's a little section there on our website. Fill that out. It comes to us. We write our prayer requests as well on our board, a whiteboard here in the back. And our staff prays for them. As we walk by that board, we look at it, we see it, we pray for you guys. Not only that, though, we've also got a hospitality ministry here in our church that provides meals. There are greeters every morning at our doors on Sunday mornings. We've got people working in the cafe. We've got life groups that are opening their homes to you. So there are lots of ways to show love, and there are a lot of people showing love. And I pray that you would be uh, praying to God and asking God how you are to be showing love in our church. Because God wants all of us to be doing that. One last thing I want to mention. We also have a benevolence fund here in our church. And from month to month, we usually use all of that. Some of it goes to people who come in with an immediate need. And we sit down and we interview them and we talk to them. We get an opportunity to share the gospel with them. But also sometimes people in our body. And I want to make our body aware of that. Because... People that are part of our church and are tithing here regularly, a portion of your money is going into that benevolence, and on a monthly basis, it's set aside for those in our fellowship that have a material need, that need help. And so I want to make you all aware of that, that you can reach out to us for that help, and we would love, of course, to sit down and and, and talk and to get to know what's going on, and of course, we want to be there for you in that way, and I want to let you guys know about that this morning. But we all know that love is not taught with words. Love is modeled with actions. And again, let me come back to this. Each of you are called to model the love of Jesus Christ to others in this fellowship. It's easy to do when you're walking and basking in the warmth of Jesus Christ's love. It's not easy to do if you do not have that relationship in your own life. So I want to ask you, I want to challenge you guys this morning to pray about that, to pray about how you are able to show love or are you showing love to others in this body? And if so, how? What is it that you're doing? Because God's love is always going to have a tangible application in life. Thirdly, moving on here, a living church is also a worshiping church. Note that in verse 46. It says that they worshiped together 
at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. I want to pause right here for a moment. Notice that their fellowship here centers around three basic activities. There's learning from the apostles' doctrine, there's worship, and there's prayer. Now, if you look back in verse 40, or there in verse 42, that's where you see the learning part at. But their worship is both formal, isn't it? And it's also informal. The formal worship was taking place at the temple. Now, those Christians were not going to offer sacrifices, but they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And they were gathering there together to pray and to learn from the apostles' doctrine. And then they would break that and they would go out and informally gather in houses throughout Jerusalem where they would take the Lord's Supper together. And I want to encourage you guys this morning. I think sometimes Christians, we get this real religious, ritualized view of the Lord's Supper. And we think that it can only be administered by a minister, you know, an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it has to be with the right words and you know, maybe the right way. Well, listen, it certainly is sacred. It is a sacred meal. No doubt about it. It should be participated with reverence and the right attitude. But it should also be partaken of with joy. And it it can be partaken of in informal gatherings. And so families, fathers, I want to encourage you guys. They're in the home to, to, to gather your family and to break bread and have the Lord's Supper together in the home. Life groups are able to break bread together and share the Lord's Supper in that informal setting, just as the early church did. As long as you've got that reverent heart and a joyful attitude towards it, and you're doing it in honor of the Lord, there's, there's, there's the, it doesn't have to just be on the first Sunday at the church, okay? I'm trying to show you this. The, 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 the first church did this informally in their houses as well. Now, note, though, that the early church did not forsake either this gathering together in large groups in that more formal structure there in the temple. Notice the way they did it. They did it with joy and reverence, it says. And I love that. Joy and reverence. Let's not let the significance of that pass us by this morning. Let's consider it for a moment. The first church was a church that learned and worshipped and prayed with great joy. Okay, it wasn't a duty, it wasn't an obligation that they got all sour-faced about. Okay? Too many Christians today got the sour puss face, you know? They look like they just popped a sour grape into their mouth, you know, and oh, you know, gotta go to church, you know, gotta read a Bible, gotta do this, you know. And it's it's this sour thing in their taste, buds, it would seem to me. The early church was filled with this great joy. Hey, we get to go pray. We get to fellowship. We get to serve one another. God has actually redeemed us, and he's given us this place now to serve, and it's an amazing thing. You know, think about it. If the president of the United States, for example, were to call you up and to say, you know what? I've got a special post just for you. I've got a special job just for you. I've got some things that are geared towards your skills and your talents and your resources, and I'm ready to put you to work. I've got a great thing for you to do. We would probably be excited about that. Well, I mean, maybe. I don't know, if, I don't know how bipartisan we would be on that, but we would probably be excited about that and go, wow, the president. No way. If the president's not working for you, think of a corporation, okay? Just an amazing corporation that you would love to work for that you've been desiring to work for. And, and you go, wow, I would just love that. 
The fact that he would think of me and handcraft a little wedge of service for me, a place where I could serve him with my skills and talents and gifts, that's cool. Well, guess what? The God of the universe has done that. He loves you, he saved you, and he's called you to serve him. And he's given you gifts, and he's given you talents, and he's given you resources to do that with. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. We've got to be filled with joy. We've got to allow that to fill our hearts, but also reverence. We need a reverence. I think too many Christians today have lost sight of the fear of God. And God has become just whatever we want him to be in our minds. He accepts me as I am. He accepts me for who I am and what I am. And, 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 and it's all good. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible must be approached with the fear of the Lord, a holy respect and reverence and awe and a love. So my question then is, does this describe your attitude towards the church this morning? Do you approach church with a heart that is in submission to God's word, desiring to learn, desiring to come to take something home with you that you're going to um, say, yeah, God, you spoke to my heart about this today. Are you seeking to love one another the way that Christ loved us? And are you worshiping God with a heart that's filled with reverence and joy? Those are searching questions. I realize that. But I would like for us to take the time to search our hearts and answer those questions personally today. That's what God's word is for. God's word searches our hearts. The Holy Spirit works together to point out those areas that we need to grow in. And listen, he's not here going, yeah, see, you you need to grow in this. He's going, no, yeah, see, look, there's an adventure of faith for you to step out in here, and I'm with you, and I'm gonna lead you and guide you in this. And it's an amazing, fun thing. How are we attempting to follow this model at our church? Well, I want to stress to you all the importance of gathering together when you have that opportunity. Look, I know life is busy. I've got four kids. They're playing basketball and doing dance and all kinds of stuff. It's busy, to say the least. But guys, we need to pray, and we need to prioritize. And when we have that opportunity, and the Lord allows, we need to be coming out to present our hearts before the Lord in this attitude, whether it's a Wednesday night Bible study, a Tuesday night discipleship class, a life group meeting, a men's or women's retreat, whatever it's going to be. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. You guys, we were created for community by God. We really do need each other. And even if you think that you don't, even if you've been burned in the past and you're wary about getting together with some of these people, let me encourage you this morning. Maybe you're a person kind of like me that thinks, hey, I'd be good on an island, you know? I'd be good on an island all by myself for a while anyways, right? Listen, we need others in our lives to walk alongside of us because we need to be stirred up. Can you imagine if you lived on an island for your entire life? That actually reminds me of a joke. There was a man who was living alone on an island, and when his rescuers finally showed up to, to take him off the island, they noticed there was three buildings, and they said, well, sir, what is, can you explain these buildings to us? And he said, yeah, this one right here is my home, you know, and this one over here is the church I attend. And they said, well, that accounts for two of them. What's that third building? And he said, that's where I used to go to church. So. <laughs> but we need others in our lives to stir us up 
to love and good works. If you're constantly alone, if you're constantly isolating yourself, think about what your life is going to look like on the day of your funeral. The day that you die and people show up to remember your life and they're like, yeah, that guy or that lady was just all about themselves. They live for themselves. We're here because we have to be and that's about it, you know? And guys, it could be a real bad moment in eternity. So, so listen, we need to think about that. We need to live for the day that we're going to die and be remembered by people right now. Thinking, okay, I want to serve the Lord, and I can't do that on an island by myself necessarily. I need to be with these people that God's called me to walk with. Lastly, but not least, fourthly, a living church is an evangelizing church. Look at verse 47 with me. It says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So this is interesting. The first church in Jerusalem, notice here, was not so caught up in their learning, worshiping, and praying that they had no time to witness and spread the gospel. It wasn't something they did. It was who they were. And that's a fundamental difference. In fact, we know that any spirit-filled church is going to be mission-minded because the Holy Spirit is mission-minded. He's on a mission to save the world. Jesus told us that in John chapter 16, verse 7 through 8. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Jesus speaking here. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will what? Convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The Holy Spirit is a missionary. He's on mission in the world right now, working through spirit-filled believers tirelessly who are sharing their stories, sharing the good news about what Jesus has done and bringing people God's way or bringing them to God. So a living church is a church that is aware that their greatest calling is to shine like lights in a dark world who understands that their greatest gift is the love and forgiveness and healing that has been given to them by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. The day that we fail to preach Christ and Him crucified is the day that the true church is no longer on the earth. So how are we attempting to follow this model? Well, this ties into the fresh vision that I feel like God is giving me that he's leading me and our church to do. And I want to share this with you today. Over the course of time, as I said, in 2015, as I came and um, took over for Pastor Damien and his wife, Sandra, and as the Lord has led us through this time, I'm coming up on four years here. The Lord, this last summer, as I was seeking the Lord, I do this regularly, I'll set aside time just to seek the Lord and fast and pray and ask God, God, what do you want to do with this church? Where are you taking us? And it was this summer that the Lord began to impress in my heart. He actually gave me a phrase, and that is 20 churches in 20 years, meaning 20 churches planted over the next 20 years. And I've been asked by several people, well, why 20 years? And all I can tell you is that I don't think it's the 20 years that matters here. I don't have an answer for that other than that. It's just what was impressed on my heart. But I believe that that's because it's a trajectory. It is a direction that God is wanting us to head in as a fellowship of believers, as a family. It's a concrete goal with a concrete time limit that we can actually shoot for. And guess what? If we plant 21 churches in 20 years, I think we'll be okay with that, okay? 
And if we only plant one church in 20 years, I'll be okay with that because that's one more church than we would have planted, I think, if we wouldn't have had a goal impressed on our hearts at all. But I do believe that God is putting this on my heart because he wants this church to become even more outward-focused, even more outreach-oriented in our hearts. And so this is one of the ways that he's doing this. In addition to this, I believe that God is leading me in my heart that one of these churches that we plant is going to be here in Paris, okay? somewhere in our own city, town, whatever you want to call this place. He wants us to do that to reach a different part of our community that also needs a Bible teaching church in their place where they can, uh, where they can have a, a place that's is their home and where they're learning the Bible, just like we have this opportunity here. Let me explain something to you guys. If you think this is ludicrous, let me put some numbers to this to help you understand why I think this is still a good thing. I've been told there's over 100 churches in Paris. Anybody else heard that? Okay, over 100 churches in Paris. Let's just imagine for a moment that of those 100 churches or more in Paris, there are 100 people attending each one of those church fellowships in Paris. That would be 10,000 people. And I think that's a very generous amount, by the way. I think some of these churches don't have anywhere close to 100 in them. But if we, as a church, were to plant one church each week in Paris for one year, that would be 52 churches planted in one year. And let's pretend, for the sake of imagination, that 100 people began attending those 52 churches. That would be 5,200 more people getting saved and added to God's kingdom. But there's still more than 15,000 people to 20,000 people possibly in Paris and surrounding areas who would need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So by planting one church, we would be generating activity that would be evangelistically focused and outreach-oriented that would cause us to turn outward, I think, and, and to step out in faith and to do things trusting in Him. But listen, here's the reality. There are probably at least 100 churches in Paris, but my guess is that there are not more than 5,000 people in church on any given Sunday. That's my best guess. So that would mean that there are approximately 20,000 people in Paris, and if you factor in the many surrounding communities, that number goes up to possibly 30,000 people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's my point? My point is, is that you're living in a mission field. You and I are missionaries called to this mission field. God has brought us here for a purpose and for a reason. A living church is a worshiping, learning, loving, and evangelizing church. So, again, this is why I believe the Lord is laying this vision on my heart. He's giving us a direction, a goal, a vision to follow 20 churches over the next 20 years. Whether we reach it or not is not the point. It's the direction that matters. It's the heart behind it that matters. And that's what I want to focus on. That's why we're doing what we do here at Calvary Chapel Paris. As I close the message, I want to spend some time just praying for boldness today. And if you'll take out your study guide and look on that study guide, I've included a list on that of 10 reasons why Christians, I'm sorry, nine reasons why Christians don't share their faith with others. 
And I've provided that list so that you could take some time today to read that and to think it over on your own and find out why it is that you may not be sharing your faith. And allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and your life to give you a boldness that we could be like this early church in, 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 in Jerusalem that was witnesses of what Jesus Christ had done in their life, not because they had to be. It was just part of who they were. With that, I'm going to close. Um, I just want to read this prayer for boldness to us this morning as I close. It's found in Acts chapter 4. And I'm just going to read uh, what it says. Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 29. And this is going to be my closing prayer. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness.